This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. Well, a man from Bellacoola is recovering in Vancouver General Hospital tonight after he was attacked by a grizzly bear. This is the second time in less than a week a mother bear protecting her cubs has mauled a man in B.C. Jill Bennett has the story. And a warning for you, it does contain some disturbing images. This video, taken by Jordan Carberry, a park ranger in Bella Coola, shows something that happens all the time, grizzly bear sightings. But on Tuesday morning, when he walked out his front door, there were two cubs in a cherry tree. The branch snapped, and it hit the ground, and then I caught some movement out of my left eye and looked over to see a sow grizzly bear looking right at me and heading straight for me. Carberry didn't have time to get back inside. He says the bear was on him in seconds. The bear had my head in its mouth and was picking me up. Um, I guess my scalp tore and it dropped me. I kicked her in the face three times at least. I uh, was able to push up and stand and then I tried to hit her in the face on the snout and she was like a prize boxer. She was so fast. She was just like... Carberry says he'd just completed ranger training for fighting off attackers, which helped. He managed to get away, but was hurt. I've got a portion of my ear missing. Uh, there's a bit of a gash near my eye, so she just missed my eyeball. I've got a big tear and a puncture mark in my chest. I've got an abdomen, uh, scars where she ripped across my belly. Bleeding heavily, he then drove himself to get help. I just kept saying the whole way to the hospital, don't pass out, don't pass out, don't pass out. Airlifted to VGH, Carberry is recovering and looking forward to returning to work, but he wants people to know the encounter was not the bear's fault. It was me dropping my guard and walking out into a situation that was already charged. In grizzly country, you can never drop your guard. Conservation officers have investigated. Because the bear was defending cubs, she won't be destroyed. Jill Bennett, Global News. A major search is going on in the Slocan Valley today, looking for any sign of a kayaker who went missing a week and a half ago. Dorothy Boje went kayaking on the Slocan River on June the 28th. Now, this 56-year-old uh, was on her own. She failed to turn up at her destination. The search for her has been going on for a few days, but still no sign of the woman. Today, water conditions on the river were a bit better. Some members of South Columbia Search and Rescue, along with volunteers from Nelson, Rossland, Castle, and uh, Castlegar could continue to look for her from both the water and from the air. Now, they have been focusing in on a specific section of the river that is known for multiple log jams. She's gone past a point where she uh, has gone before, 
and uh, and where she started to head into, there's multiple log jams, and those log jams are like century-old log jams. They've been there a long time, so they're quite large and uh, pretty much unavoidable. Um, so that's kind of what we're dealing with today is is trying to get in and around those log jams, which makes uh, you know uh, it hard for our searcher safety as well. The current has uh, definitely uh, dropped down a little bit, and our river level has come down about eight inches. She has uh, been on the river lots of times before, uh, but we do know that she's gone further than she has before. The RCMP have released the image of a convicted sex offender to see if any other possible victims will come forward. In March, Randolph Byron Dunlop was found guilty of sexual assault with a weapon, uh, a break and enter and forcible confinement. Now, the 60-year-old from Grand Prairie, Alberta, was sentenced to eight years in prison. The case going back to 1994 when Dunlop, wearing a mask and brandishing a firearm, broke into the home of a Fort St. John woman he didn't know tied her up and sexually assaulted her. He'd also cut off all the phone lines before he broke in. Police were later able to use DNA evidence to help convict Dunlop of the crime. He lived in Alberta but worked in Fort St. John in the 1990s. If you have any information about any other related incidents, uh, you are being asked to call Fort St. John RCMP. An elderly man has died after a transit bus and car crashed into each other in Vancouver's downtown east side this morning. It is believed the bus had the green light when it reached the intersection. This was at East Hastings and Princess Avenue just before 9 o'clock this morning. The car was heading north on Princess when it collided with the bus. The car spinning out of control and hitting an unoccupied parked vehicle. A 73-year-old driver was rushed to hospital but later died. Police now investigate. An environmental group wants the township of Langley to close a busy road to traffic for about two weeks. It's to allow the safe migration of tens of thousands of tiny western toads. Julia Foy has the story. How big are they? Well, we're talking about the size of a dime, likely. Biologist Christy Jeteau treads carefully around this small lake in South Langley. Her prey? A tiny western toadlet. These guys have been declining across their range, and they're, they're both federally recognized as well as internationally recognized as at risk. Out of 30 wetland areas studied by the Aroka Environmental Group, this formal gravel pit is one of only two that supports western toads. And in the coming weeks, up to 96,000 toads are expected to hit the road. So they're getting ready for the grand toadlet migration. They're starting to make their way out to their wintering grounds. 200th Street can be quite a busy road, especially at rush hour. So many commuters try and take a shortcut down 20th Avenue, which is causing big problems for the toadlets. Last year what we did was we actually helped. We carried a bunch over the road into the ditches because a bunch were getting ran over. So Jato was asking the township of Langley to help keep traffic away from the area during the toad's two-week migration. We're hoping to work together with staff in order to ensure that there is some limited road closure. So for local traffic only and potentially signage and notification to the neighbors. Aroka has set up some temporary fencing along 20th to try and direct toads into the culvert under the street. In Chilliwack, there was a similar toad migration problem until Fraser Valley Conservancy raised $120,000 to build this underpass in 2015. They're just um, like underneath the, the vegetation here. 
Aroca is offering tours next weekend of the toad migration. You can sign up on their website. Just like to urge people to please not come to look for the toads and, and drive these roads um, because we would like to avoid as much traffic as possible. Julia Foy, Global News. Well, Langley Township Fire confirming today that last night's fire in a vacant home was the third in two weeks. Crews were called out to the 200-500 block of 70th Avenue just after 10 o'clock last night. They were able to knock down the two-alarm fire fairly quickly. No one was inside at the time. The two, uh, two other empty homes in the community also caught fire last weekend, but the fire chief says it's still unclear whether all three are connected. He's urging the public to call police or fire if they notice anything suspicious. The calls for all three fires still under investigation. Should businesses be compensated for a loss of money caused by infrastructure work around them? That's what a local business improvement association is calling for. They say lengthy road closures, like the one we had on First Avenue in Vancouver, is hitting small businesses very hard. But if history is anything to go by, retailers are likely going to be out of luck on this one. Nadia Stewart reports. A busy Saturday morning in Marpole, drawing a steady stream of neighbors. No major construction projects here, at least not this summer. In 2017 and 2016, it was a different story. What we had happen here in Marpole was the closure of Southwest Marine Drive between Granville Street all the way out to UBC over two consecutive summers. The Marble Business Association says small businesses who rely on the major artery to pump traffic into the area took a hit. There was no denying that that cutoff of access impacted our businesses, many of whom um, depend on our destination businesses, like a garden center that experienced more than a 40% drop in pedestrian traffic as well as sales. Leroy says the neighborhood garden center ended up leaving. It hasn't been replaced. Retail on the ground here in Vancouver is not an easy thing to do. It's very expensive, but doesn't just bounce back like that. The Cassia Bake Shop on East First Avenue at Commercial Drive says they're worried they won't bounce back as Fortis BC continues its summer-long infrastructure repairs. Usually we have 50, 60 customers per day, and yesterday just four. Regardless of whether or not the city initiates the project, there are calls for City Hall to do more to help affected businesses, particularly as Vancouver continues to grow. Taking the next step in terms of sitting down and determining what there may be in terms of potential like compensation for that type of, um, of closure and impact is not a conversation that, that the city has had, and I think we collectively need to do that. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is repeating his message that he didn't behave inappropriately towards a female reporter at a BC music festival almost 20 years ago. But he says people can experience interactions differently. Trudeau made the comments in Calgary yesterday. A woman called Rose Knight has now issued a statement confirming she is the reporter who was referred to in an editorial in the Creston Valley Advance that alleged she was groped by Trudeau while covering the event. She now says Trudeau apologized to her the next day and there's been no contact between them ever since.
I think people understand that every situation is different and we have to reflect and take seriously uh, every situation on a case-by-case -case basis and that's exactly what uh, what we're endeavoring to do in in any range of, of uh, situations that come forward. Uh, different organizations uh, uh, are struggling uh, with the similar challenges and we all need to uh, really focus on how we can move forward in a way that, uh, that uh, respects and supports uh, people coming forward and uh, allows for processes and reflections and learning while we move through it. The city of Penticton says it's cracking down on bad behaviour in their community. The zero toler tolerance policy comes as the city is trying to deal with an increase in crime, drug use and property damage. Shelby Tom has the story. I think there's a mounting frustration and concern in the community. From public drug use to loitering around city and private property, the downtown core of Penticton is under siege at the height of the tourist season. We watch them shooting up as we're coming and going. Even the Penticton United Church, usually a place of inclusiveness, put up no trespassing signs on Friday. It's a very sad situation. Uh, we're worried about our staff. And the city is not pulling any punches. We want to sort of take back our community. This is where bylaw officers shut down what they described as a meth party this week, where users were blocking access to the public washrooms here at Okanagan Lake Park. The mayor says that incident was the final straw. We're uh, besieged by that and not be able to enjoy some of our public places, so that's really why we're trying to take a bit more of a heavier hand. That heavier hand coming in the form of a public warning with a show of force, accompanied by this statement that says the party party is over. If you're here to break the law, drink and use drugs in a public place, occupy and damage city and private property, your life is about to get complicated. The city says it's taking a zero tolerance approach to unacceptable behavior and illegal activity. We've increased bylaw and RCMP patrols. We're asking the public to have a system when they see things that are going sideways. Rule breakers will be punished. So the mayor says if you're coming here to cause trouble, think again. Our community shouldn't be held at held ransom or at hostage. Shelby Tom, Global News, Penticton. Now it's called from Canada with love. Shipping containers bound for West Africa being filled with medical supplies. It's the work of a tiny charity that's spearheaded by a Vancouver nurse. Kristen Robinson reports. Everything that you see here has been donated. From operating room tools to wheelchairs, this Delta warehouse full of hope for West Africa. What it does is it gives people their life back. Uh, Anti-embolism stocking. Dozens of volunteers taking stock. These are um, vacuum bottles for somebody who has fluid on the lung. Of hundreds of unused medical supplies from BC hospitals and nursing homes. It's wonderful to get it because somebody gets to use it. Otherwise, this would go to the landfill. Can I help? Yeah, let's go. Instead, the Corleboo charity, led by Vancouver nurse Marjorie Rattel, loading the equipment into two shipping containers bound for Monrovia, Liberia. It feels emotionally very um, rewarding, and it is like a package of love with a lot of content. The tiny foundation's big mission to connect their life-saving supply with the demand has grown since West Africa's Ebola outbreak. Between 2014 and 2016, Ebola killed more than 11,000 people, decimating Liberia, Sierra Leone, and New Guinea. Those area hospitals now trying to rebuild their health care with nothing. You know, here everything's centralized. You know, the doctor orders something or the nurse wants something, you get it on the shelf over there. The patient or the family have to go running all over the place. 
people need the medical supplies that we send to to uh, to Africa, and uh, without that, you know, it would be very difficult for people to get good healthcare. So I've been on the other side with them as they receive these loads, and they open the doors and they say, "Love is right there," and there's room for more love. Corlibu has funded three containers bound for Liberia and Nigeria, but needs to raise just over $47,000 to ship five more by September. Kristen Robinson, Global News. To a strange warning from Delta Police tonight to be on the lookout for a missing ball python named Gypsy, similar to the one seen here. Its owner apparently lost the snake last Sunday. It was last seen near a farmer's field in Ladner. Unfortunately, it is not known which field. Sorry about that. It is described as being six feet long, eight inches in di diameter, and dark caramel in color. If you do see this, don't panic, just call 911. Conservation officers in Kelowna performed an unusual rescue this Friday afternoon. These two fawns somehow falling through a cattle guard in an Okanagan vineyard and becoming stuck below the grate. With some help from the public, conservation officers were able to pull the baby deer to safety and then reunite them with their mother, who was watching nervously nearby. After being reunited, the family then left. All right, English soccer fans on pins and needles today watching their team in today's World Cup match. This was the scene in my house. No, I'm joking. It was that uh, Vancouver's London pub as England faced Sweden in the quarterfinals. And they had lots of reasons to celebrate, of course. England beating Sweden 2-0. That is making it their first clean sheet of this World Cup. On Wednesday, they'll be facing Croatia, which beat Russia in the other quarterfinal today. This is going to be England's first semi-final World Cup game in 28 years. That's Italia right. 90 was the last time. You were just a child when that and went two, on. Yes. Yeah, I remember that, actually. <laughs> I do remember. It's an amazing feeling. You know, if I could wear my England strip, to, I would have today, but obviously I'm not allowed, maybe. You could wear red and white. You would, yeah. would not know the difference. But that was, I did that for Canada Day. That's right. That well, was last weekend, see? so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was amazing. Yeah, let's just pick up on sport mm -hmm. for a moment, actually, because even the other game between Russia and Croatia. It's outstanding. Nail biting. The World Cup has been, has delivered. Sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, we see teams play a little defensively. I would say the entertainment value has been uh, right up there in this England side which nobody uh, really thought they would do much of anything. I mean, they thought maybe just to make it to the knockout stage would be, you know, pretty good. But they've gone beyond that, and they look really good, and they have an excellent chance to get to the finals. So big highlights of that coming out of both games, and also busy on the local scene, Lions and Whitecaps playing today. So it's all happening Saturday. It's Nothing's happening. going on tomorrow. I'm not, I'm not kidding. In sports, <laughs> so it's all today. Are you both uh, rooting for England, by the way? Just want to, no pressure. Of course we are. Yes, of course so we're, we're we are. Supporting yes, you. yes. All right, good. I hope you are too. Right. And, uh, and weather. I don't know by the time we get to Wednesday what it's going to be like. Uh, Wednesday will be nice, uh, but mm -hmm. we have had some active weather uh, uh, yesterday evening and even for this morning. We've been tracking some thunderstorms and several across the province. Our very own Ted Field sent in this. Wait for it's it. Nice picture he sent. There'll be a light show. Wait for it. It's playing on my other side. There, there you go. go. You have to look very carefully. But we've had lots of lightning. We're still tracking it for the central interior. We keep you in suspense. That's what my photos look we like. Keep you no right? You have to wait for it. But we're still tracking some thunderstorms. It'll be in the central interior. We've got a warm-up on the way and then a bit of a blip on the forecast. So I'll have that coming up very shortly.
Welcome back in international news this evening. In Pakistan, a Montreal firefighter has fallen to his death while climbing the treacherous K2 mountain, which is, of course, the world's second highest peak. Serge Desireaux was a firefighter in Montreal for 30 years. Now, he was leading an international expedition when he fell. The group was climbing to 7,000 meters to acclimatize before returning to base camp. It's believed they entered a steep, rocky, and very icy section of the mountain when the 53-year-old fell. K2 is often described as the world's hardest mountain to climb and has notoriously bad weather. Friends and family have been paying their respects online. The race is on to find a toddler who's been missing in northern Alberta. The RCMP, along with Grand Prairie Technical Search and Rescue, have been conducting a ground and water search near the Camphor Bridge, just south of Grand Prairie. The boy was with his family when he disappeared sometime last night. The search resumed this morning. It's unclear what the family was doing at the time. Rescuers in Thailand are racing against time to free a youth soccer team and their coach from a flooded cave. The group has been trapped in the cave for 15 days now. The options to try and save them not looking good. Now monsoon rains are moving in. Too much water, not enough air, and torrential rain on the way. All conditions that could spell disaster for the children and their coach if they're not rescued soon. The options are few and risky. One involves a so-called buddy dive. Each boy tethered to a skilled diver. It's an incredibly treacherous task. An experienced diver running out of air and dying this week. The three-mile journey through the cave's tunnels takes an experienced diver about six hours. Some spots too tight for scuba gear. Another option officials are considering, inserting a giant, flexible, inflatable tube. And it will be as big as 70 centimeters in diameters and as long as it needs to be to get the kids out or get supplies in without having to die. For days now, divers have been placing oxygen tanks and teaching the kids the basics. The worry that they're weak and once underwater could panic. The best plan if uh, we can bring them out and uh, uh, the list is minimum, maybe we try. For the first time, letters from the cave, handwritten by the boys to their families, messages of love. One boy writing to his parents, I love you both, don't worry, I can take care of myself. Their coach wrote an apology and promised to care for the kids as best as possible. At the nearby temple where he works, there are daily prayers for the coach and his team. Rescue teams are drilling into the south side of the cave complex to release more water. That's being pumped out around the clock. Millions of gallons now, but many more to go. Dozens are dead in Japan tonight after torrential rain triggered widespread flooding and massive landslides in the country's west. At least 50 people have been killed, many more still missing. Most of the deaths have happened in Hiroshima Prefecture. About 23 inches or 583 millimeters of rain fell over the area in two days. Millions have forced to flee their homes, many seeking refuge on top of roofs as they wait to be rescued. Now to a developing and deadly crisis in many parts of the western U.S., including California. Powerful winds are fueling wildfires as record high temperatures have put more than 18 million people on an excessive heat warning. NBC's Steve Patterson reports. Tonight, a state of emergency in California. 
the misery made worse by record-breaking heat and high winds. More than 2,000 people evacuated near Santa Barbara, nearly two dozen buildings already destroyed. Eric Dirtschi says he and his six kids barely made it out alive. It was going so fast. The wind was gusting so fast last night. There was no chance. Jeff Rainbolt took desperate measures to keep the fire from burning his house down. Just with the shovel and, and the hose, I probably put out 40, 30 to 40 spot fires easily. Firefighters attacking it from the air and on the ground. When you have fire weather like that with the wind and the relative humidity and the heat, it's, it's really just impossible. We kind of go into a defensive mode and try to protect really as many structures as we can. In Northern California, the fires turn it deadly. One killed as flames there exploded across 20,000 acres. Fires burning in San Diego County, too. we got to get out of here, guys. It's churning through homes, even injuring a firefighter. We had 60 seconds, maybe. Yeah, we knew immediately we needed to get in our cars and, and go. California's March of Flames, part of nearly 60 large fires racing across 13 states. Making matters worse, the West is baking in a blistering heat wave. It's super duper hot, so we had to escape it. Records shattered yesterday in California, 102 in Santa Barbara, 108 in downtown L.A., and in Burbank, a sweltering 114 degrees. Excessive heat warnings expected to stay in place for nearly 20 million Americans as bone-dry conditions and red flag winds return. Firefighters, once again, racing for the very worst. In Health Matters tonight, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control says about one in ten teenagers experience some sort of violence while dating. But just one intervention session could help reduce that violence. A study from the University of Michigan looked at more than 800 teenagers who were treated in the emergency room for a number of reasons. While they were in hospital, there was a session about underage drinking offered to the patients. Researchers found that the teens who took part in the session were 47% less likely to be involved in dating violence over the next year. That's compared to those who didn't take part in the intervention. They also had fewer symptoms of depression. All right, 10 blocks in Kitsilano, close to traffic right now. Our Michael Newman has uh, a lot more on this year's Kitsilano Street Party. So obviously some of the activities include you know, burning a little calories, but um, a big part of this event also is the unveiling of this huge mural behind me right here, and I'm here with the two gentlemen that created it. So, uh, Tico, first of all, can you tell me about maybe some of the motifs in the mural and how it co connects to Kitsilano? Well, it's uh, a short survey of Canadian art history. There's bits and pieces of Jack Shadbolt and B.C. Binning and so on and so forth. And Kitsilano has always been kind of a haven for artists and the creative spirit, and that's what we kind of wanted to speak to with this mural. And first, augmented reality mural in Canada. So that, to me, strikes as a very hard technical thing to do. So can you speak to maybe the process of making something like that? The augmented reality portion of it really fell into a desire to make the piece interactive with the public to the greatest extent. So there's a big difference between standing and looking at a picture that is passive on the wall and then a picture that physically comes alive with this new technological aspect. And what do you hope people leave with when they come to look at this mural? Well, we purposefully uh, designed it in such a way that it wasn't particularly literal so that people can make their own conclusions and have their own experience and have this kind of opportunity to kind of rove all over the whole composition and, and discover things. That's what we wanted, discovery. Oh. I love that. I love that. I think that makes it really unique for this festival because it's not just about 
you know, the food or the the art or the the wares, but it's also an, an interactive kind of thing. And so having something like this, it's an amazing addition to coming to an awesome fe festival like Catalana. So come on down. The event happens until nine o'clock tonight. Back to you. All right, thank you very much for that, Michael. Uh, let's go over to Yvonne and find out if you are heading down there, what it's going to look like a bit later on this evening, Yvonne. So we do have some cloud cover, but it's along the North Shore Mountains that we're tracking. Still a chance of showers this evening, but most areas, if you are heading down, it will be some cloud cover. It is going to cool off for the evening hours, so make sure you do grab a light coat. We're sitting at 21 still out of the airport, southwesterly wind at 17 kilometers per hour. Our high today was at 22 degrees, close to where we should be for this time of the year, and on the Almanac record-wise, 29 degrees was set back in 1953. 17 is your current temperature for areas near Whistler, Squamish sitting at 20 degrees, areas near the Malahat at 17, inland for the island at 21 near Port Alberni, Tavino sitting at 15 degrees, and Victoria with your current temperature at 18. 18 for Kamloops, Kelowna sitting at 25, 26 for Trail, current temperature for Prince George at 18, and for Prince Rupert at 17 degrees. Central interior, that's where we're tracking the majority of the active weather still for the early evening hours, risk of a thunderstorm. We are seeing some heavier downpours, lightning strikes and stretching all the way in towards the Thompson and areas near Revelstoke. It'll ease off. It'll be a much calmer day tomorrow. We'll see a fair bit of sunshine, very pleasant across much of the province. Sunday, the nicest out of our weekend, but putting the future cast into play. The moisture is going to ease off for the interior sections. Monday we are going to see a nice dry start to the morning and then a change starts to kick in once again by the evening hours. The peace tomorrow up to 23 degrees, a very slight chance to see an isolated shower. Warm on your Monday, back up to 25. Whitehorse tomorrow, 24 degrees with a mainly sunny sky. Over the next three days, it does remain dry, and you're close to the average for this time of the year into the 20s. Coastal sections tomorrow will be a dry one, a mix of sun and cloud. It's an increase in cloud cover Monday, Tuesday, but it should remain dry over the next few days. Caribou and Central Interior up to 23 tomorrow, 26 for your Monday, a change on the the way will be on your way for your Tuesday. Columbia and Kootenai region, a hot one tomorrow. 34 degrees come Monday and then cooling off, unsettled once again with showers returning and 28. Thompson Okanagan will see two beautiful days. Monday starting off with sunshine and a chance of showers developing on by the evening and unsettled on your Tuesday. Whistler up to 24 degrees. Monday we'll start to see that change on the way. It'll be by the evening hours and continuing to see some shower activity to Tuesday. Most areas across the island will be into some sunshine. Very pleasant tomorrow. A touch cooler if you're by the water up to 22 degrees and then showers and more cloud cover on Monday. Metro Vancouver we're dipping down to 14 degrees overnight. 21 by the water tomorrow. Inland will be up to 27, 26 degrees. Beautiful day for tomorrow. Monday we'll have some dry conditions, but showers by the evening. Blip in the forecast, Sonia, will be on our Tuesday, and then rebounding very nicely for Wednesday, Thursday. Tomorrow, though, get out and enjoy it with the sunshine. Sonia? Mm, nice. Just in time for the England game. I see the sun is out there. <laughs> Thank you very much, Yvonne. Exactly. All right. An apology is better late than never, of course. Uh, so let's tell you about Tampa Bay Devil Rays outfielder, Carlos Gomez. He made up with this uh, Gatorade cooler in New York last night, and there are a lot of people thinking it was a deserved apology, because look at that. This was Gomez's destroying two coolers a few nights earlier in Miami. Why was he doing that? 
Well, he was a little frustrated. Wow. But you know what? Always good to apologize to the Gatorade because that is, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, re-energizes you. You got to be in good terms with that stuff. Yes. The electrolytes. You got to respect the fuel. You have to. Um, got to respect England. What an amazing, amazing yeah. result yeah, today. They're, they're, and they're a fun team to watch. I, yes. I, I, I think a lot of people, there's a lot of England fans around here, let's yes, face it, in are. Canada. So yeah. uh, I think there's a lot of, a lot of happy soccer fans around the nation right now. You no, know, just relief. We're in a good phase right yeah, now. They're, yeah, they're, they're playing well. All right. Thanks, Sonny. In the past, England has crumbled under the pressure of expectation at the World Cup. This time around in Russia, this young English side wasn't expected to do much, and maybe that's been their motivation, because for just the third time in their history, England are off to the semifinals at a World Cup. This after their most convincing win of the tournament today, 2-0 over Sweden in the quarterfinals. And plenty of talk how close-knit this English team is. That demonstrated again today. They've also been lethal offset pieces. Ashley Young with the corner. It's Harry Maguire elevating and heading it in with authority. Maguire's first career goal for England. Pretty good time to get it. 1-0 at the half. The Swedes came out ready for the second half, but English goalkeeper Jordan Pickford with a fantastic save. Punches it away. Had Sweden scored there, different uh, soccer game. And then England adds to the lead. Jesse Lingard, perfect ball in for Delhi Ali, who nods in a second for England. Ali's first of this World Cup. They do have weapons other than Harry Kane. 2-0 England. And the celebration is on. Sweden kept pressing, but Jordan Pickford there again to deny them, this time with the arm save. A very solid team effort for England. 2-0 over Sweden, and the, for the first time since 1990, England into the Final Four at the World Cup. Now the final, quarterfinal, the host Russians against Croatia. Russia has played well beyond expectation, but they don't want this ride to end. How about this strike from Denis Cherishev? A thumper from distance. Fantastic goal. 1-0 Russia. But Croatia respond. Just eight minutes later, Andrei Kramaric with the header. Great feed from Mario Mandzukic. 1-1 at halftime. It stayed that way through regulation, so they go to extra time when Croatia strike in the 100th minute, Vida with the header. The Russian keeper did not pick up that ball, lost it right there, and then didn't react, and it's in. But Russia, in dramatic fashion, with the free kick in the 115th minute, Brazilian-born Mario Fernandez with the header, and they explode the stadium, jubilant. 2-2, two -two. there's the cutest fans at Russia 2018, but it went to penalties. And Croatia prevail. Rakitic breaks Russian hearts, so it'll be Croatia, England in the semis on Wednesday. What a match that should be. Belgium and France play on Tuesday. Last weekend was a bit of a downer at BC Poise. This after last place, Colorado Rapids left town with a 1-0 victory over the Whitecaps. The Caps had so many chances, just couldn't finish. No Kristen Tachera as they entertain the Chicago Fire tonight at 7.30 as the bug sits out game two of his three-match suspension. Fans do get to see Bastian Schweinsteiger up close and personal. Whitecaps have conceded the most goals in the Western Conference, so they're hoping better defense leads to offense. We have to defend. We have to make sure we don't give up, you know, bad goals, or any goals for that matter. And we need to make sure that we put teams away when we're on the break. You know, we know that we're a counterattacking team, and we've created a lot of chances last game. We were a bit unlucky that we didn't score, but once we do, like, if we get that going, we're flying. 
The Lions are hoping to get a little traction in their season starting tonight in Winnipeg. That early bye week probably didn't help their cause as they look to integrate about 15 new players into their roster. The Bombers have also been a bit shaky to start the season, just one and two through three games. You've got early highlights from Winnipeg where it is sweltering hot. The Humidex around 40 Celsius at field level. Adam Bighill facing the Lions for the first time. Played 99 games here over six seasons. Jeremiah Johnson with the big run early, a 25-yard gallop for Johnson. The run game's been pretty good so far this year for the Lions. That led to a field goal. They led 3-0. Matt Nichols starting at quarterback for the first time this year after getting injured in practice just before Winnipeg's season opener, and he looks sharp. You'll find Darvin Adams for the touchdown here, and it's 7-3 Winnipeg. Lions defense giving up a lot of yards and points in the second half against Edmonton last week, and this was not good. Jonathan Jennings missed a couple of throws early, including this one to Chris Rainey, picked off by the former Lion Adam Big Hill, his first interception as a Blue Bomber, and Winnipeg turned that turnover into points. Another former Lion, Andrew Harris, with the high hurdle here to keep the drive going. A little spring in the step of the Bombers on this night, and that led to this Harris touchdown run to start the second quarter. That made it 14 to 3 for Winnipeg and the Lions are in trouble right now. They are down 21-3 late in the second quarter. Eskimos and Argonauts from Toronto. James Franklin starting at QB with Ricky Ray out for a while. But they get off to a strong start. James Wilder Jr. with the touchdown run. Toronto jumped out 12-0, but the Eskimos rally just like they did versus the Lions last week. Mike Riley to Darrell Walker. Going to make a couple moves, get into the end zone for the touchdown. Edmonton led 17-12. But late in the fourth, it's Franklin to Declan Cross for the touchdown, and the Argos get their first win of the season, upsetting the Eskimos 20-17. to Edmonton drops to 2-2, two and two, which, of course, is good news for the Lions. Welcome back. If Milos Raonic is ever going to win a Grand Slam, you figure Wimbledon is the place it will happen. He came close a couple years ago when he made it to the final before losing to Andy Murray. Nobody really knows what kind of form Milos is in right now because of the barrage of injuries he's dealt with over the past year. Just when you think he's back, he's pulling out of another tournament. But so far, Milos has played well and stayed healthy in week one of what he hopes will be an entire fortnight in London. Milos competing at completing his match against Austrian Dennis Novak after it was suspended by darkness last night. Milos up two sets to one. Great return here. Led to a break. Goes up 3-1 in the fourth. Raonic going to the serve and volley, which I think he must do against the top players as well. Keep the pressure on, dictate the points, and if he executes like this, could make another deep run at the tournament. As Raonic gets down and digs out the volley match point, and Novak will eventually net the ground stroke. Raonic winning 7-6, 4-6, 7-5, 6-2. On Monday, he will face 103rd ranked Mackenzie McDonald of the U.S. for a quarterfinal berth. Federer looms as a semifinal opponent should Milos make it that far. Also on the men's side, second seed Rafael Nadal cruising into the round of 16 today. Fellow Spaniard Sergio Garcia looking dapper courtside. Rafa taking on Alex Deminor of Australia. Beat him in straight sets, 6-1, 6-2, 6-4. Thanks to this little piece of razzle-dazzle, Rafa chasing his third Wimbledon title, but first since 2010, and he gets the victory 
with relative ease. Meanwhile, three-time champ Novak Djokovic taking on Kyle Edmund, who's Britain's best hope with Andy Murray out due to injury. But Djokovic was too much today. Loads up the backhand winner, and uh, he is charged up about that. Djokovic takes it in four sets. He's off to the round of 16. There was a big set upset on the women's side as top seed Simona Halep lost. As is tradition, no tennis tomorrow on Middle Sunday. Action resumes on Monday. Tour de France began today. First stage traditionally a time trial of sorts, but not this year. A 201-kilometer stage. Four-time champ Chris Froome of Britain had a mini mishap. Not a great view of it, but he's off to the side of the road there late in the stage. Sprint to the finish. It's Colombian Fernando Gaviria who takes it at the line. Froome is 61 seconds off the lead. He says he wasn't injured seriously. Gaviria gets to wear the yellow jersey after day one. No Canadians entered in the Tour de France this year. Locally, BC Super Week cycling continues tonight in Ladner. And got some golf. PGA Tour. Third round of the Greenbrier from West Virginia. Bubba Watson in contention again this week. Chip in birdie at the 16th, just three off the lead. Bubba has already won three times this year. Kelly Kraft now, he had the lead for most of the day. Chips in from 40 feet at the 11th for a birdie. He's on top at 14 under, but he's got company. Harold Varner looking for his first PGA Tour win with the birdie at the 17th. He's tied with Kraft at minus 14. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor, 10 back at minus 4. Final round on Global tomorrow at 12.30. And in baseball, the Blue Jays and Mariners both lost. Uh, Seattle losing despite nine strikeouts from James Paxton. All right, finally tonight, it is the 25th anniversary of the railway at Confederation Park in Burnaby. Judging by everybody's smiles, you're never too old to play with trains. Lynn Collier reports. On any given weekend or holiday, the Burnaby Central Railway in Confederation Park is filled with families and train lovers alike. All aboard! The BC Society of Model Engineers is a non-profit club that runs the trains. The club's been around for 89 years, but this is the 25th anniversary of the railway at Confederation Park, built with Phil from the Cassiar Tunnel Project. We got 8,500 truckloads and made three big hills. And then we were able to put a spiral around it and, tu and tunnels and, and bridges and cuttings and so on. And it made much more interesting track. When it opened in July 1993, there were 14,000 passengers that first season. Sometime this season, the one millionth passenger will take a ride. And see the new Garden Railway, a place where train lovers can run the trains they collect. Many of my trains have been in boxes for many years. I will now have a place where I can take them and run them. I have both the electric trains and a lot of these are live steam as well, running on either gas or alcohol, and some of them are even coal-powered. I think it's one of the most popular uh, places for families in Burnaby. Lynn Collier, Global News.
Oh, that's great fantastic. We were just saying that, you know, we've been there many, mm -hmm. many times. It, it's, a great, it's a great little uh, ride. Like, it's a true train ride. You don't go back and forth on right. a track like some of them. You actually are going through going uh, the uh, nature, and it's wonderful. And if you are heading down there, good weekend to head down there tomorrow. Yeah, maybe? tomorrow will be fabulous. It is going to warm up. Final look at your five-day. A range between 21 by the water. Inland will be up to 20, 26. A change on the way late day on our Monday. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you back here tonight at 11. Good night. Good night.